All right, good. Did I do that? Good morning. Morning. <laughs> um, my name is John Aho, and uh, I'm not usually up here. In fact, I've never been up here. So um, I'm excited to be here. I really am. I'm always excited to be here. I'm usually here. I'm usually there. And if I was there, I'd be wondering why I'm up here. And I am wondering why I'm up here. Oh, yes. Thank you. Sure. Um, <clears throat> that's a great question. God has been doing a lot of stuff in my life. God has, well, he's, he's so faithful. And over the years, God has led me through a lot of stuff and the fact that I'm here, um, I think <laughs> I'm in this place of discovery, you know, almost a little bit scared. Like, I don't know. What does this mean? Why am I here? Um, but I just know that God is doing something. And I know that for me in my life, and I know that this is, that this, he's got something really special for me today, this morning. And I'll tell you, he's already done so much. I'm already, I'm so excited for, for this service, but God is doing something in your life and God is working in your life. That's what God does. Um, the fact that you're here, he has something for you. Um, as we, well, I'll tell you, preparing kind of this morning, thinking about things, I, I found myself a little nervous and I was praying for God to take that from me. Um, and it kind of, something hit as I was doing that and, and praying for God to take this from me. And I, I don't know, I, I guess I kind of remembered something and I, I realized I didn't want him to take it from me. I want him to use it, like do something with this. I'm not really sure what to do with my hands maybe, but use this for your glory. Cause I know that that's what he does. Um, and so I, I, along those lines, um, I was thinking it would be a good idea for us to start, especially today's message. Somebody need a pen for your notes? And thank you. Um, they're going to fall. They're up right there. Um, that... For, for this message today, the thing that, that God has been putting on my heart really requires an awareness of a burden or something that's weighing on our hearts. And, and I don't know what this looks like for you, but I know that sometimes when I come into church, just like I did with, you know, my nerves a little bit there, just praying, God, just take this from me. You know, I've got this things stressing me out, stressing me out. I've got something going on in my life. Please kind of relieve this from me so that I can enjoy church, so that I can be comfortable, so that I can sit back like I usually do with my cup of coffee there and, and just enjoy a, a good sermon, you know, and feel good. And I don't know. I'm just, that's what I feel like God's put on my heart is that that's, this is a place to bring that stuff. And this is a and this is not a place to um, come in and 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 have it all dissipate. But this is a place to process and bring 
this thing. And I thought maybe a sort of an exercise for your own self and for myself to say, what is it? Just take a few seconds here, but to say, what is it that's weighing heavy on my heart right now? Um, either situation, somebody on our mind that we're praying for, something we've been praying for for a while and are in a state of like anxiety, kind of waiting, expecting, um, maybe something that you're, that's a fairly recent thing that you're like, you know, I should pray about this. Something um, happened on the way to church, maybe that you need to pray about, but whatever that is, take that thing. And instead of setting it out somewhere, I want you to metaphorically speaking, set it in your lap. Like we're going to do show and tell or something, just kind of hold it there in your lap, this thing that you, you know, maybe for me, it's maybe there's some nerves or maybe there's uh, some things that I am kind of wondering what I'm doing up here. I just kind of say, you know what, God, I just, I, I bring this before you like a kid and I'm not really sure what to do with this. And I'm, I'm praying that during this service that that would be something that God would work on with you on a personal level, individually. There's nothing I can do to prepare for that. So I pray that for myself and I pray that for you. We are starting a new series, um, The Stand, and that was, a, I, I love Julia's video. Um, that, that does a good job of, of explaining it. And you see these, these kids over here um, in need of a home. And uh, as a church, collectively, this weighs on our heart. As a church, this is something we care about. As a school teacher, this weighs on my heart. Um, I know, I know some of these kids, you know, uh, but it weighs on my heart. And, and so with this new series, The Stand, we, we will be looking at the book of Nehemiah. And, and I will be preaching out of uh, the first chapter of Nehemiah, not at this moment. I'm going to tell you a little story, but just so you know, you can get your, you can put your finger in that part if you need to. But, um, but before I do, I want to share, I want to share with you some of, some of me. Um, there's a lot of me in here. And I want to share with you about, about uh, a little over 17 years ago, um, I was, uh, that was this one. I was seeking God. I was, I just wanted, you know, this, this full, to fully surrender my life to God and for him to, to do what he would, you know, have your way, God, in my life. Um, and I didn't know what that looked like, to be honest, I, I think, I had sort of this blank slate, but I walk into church one time and I have this vision of an angel. Turns out it was Lexi. <clears throat> but she she blew me away. So I, I see her and I'm and I, I actually we we did we hung out a little bit, went down down this is down in Washington, so we went down to Portland and um, with some friends and stuff. And the next morning, <clears throat> by the way, you remember this? You gave me that. Um, 
That's our old phone number, though. Uh, <clears throat> right here, uh, something tells me I'm going to marry Alexis. Honestly, I've never met a more perfect girl. She has everything. The more I get to know her, I wouldn't change a single thing. Um, that's one part of, of a lot of conversation with God, a lot of seeking and for this person to come into my life. We then, uh, you know, became friends and then more than friends in a healthy way. <laughs> we, when we found ourselves at Lucia Falls, we were supposed to be up there with some friends and we, <laughs> we went up there and it ended up just the two of us. Um, at one point I said something funny. She puts her hand on my knee. I smoothly put my arm around her. And before we know it, we're talking about all the sunsets we're going to be seeing together throughout our lives together. And that's another section in here. I mean, I just was like, God, I'm going to be your husband. You know, this is I could not believe what had just happened, what I was experiencing, that God, in my seeking God, he brought in her. He brought her into my life, and I got to be in her life. Um, we got married, and uh, nine months to the... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> nine months to the day after our wedding night, Emmanuel was born. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um he loves being reminded of that. And then uh, kids in five years, they're all right in this area, four kids in five years. Man, life was, and this is it, this is the thing that I'm, life, I'm trying to paint a picture of. It was the way it ought to be. That's how it felt to me. Me and God, that's, that's me and her, obviously. <laughs> but this, this, when I see this picture, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about this, this this was, uh, I was close with God. We were close with God, and, and in that closeness, we were close with each other, and there was this, the way it ought to be. This is, wow. These kids come along, and life is coming, and yeah, someone was like, yo, your hair was blonde. Um, I had a construction business at the time, and I was framing and uh, houses and whatnot. Well, this is 2005, 2008, you know, in that kind of area. Of course, uh, construction took a hit. My finances were iffy at best, month to month. It was very difficult getting paid by builders. Life, life wore me down. Life wore me down. I found myself, um, found myself addiction, in addiction, using alcohol to cope with things. I guess, uh, but worse than that, I mean, it, seriously, worse than that was that I did this in secrecy and I kept this stuff to myself and, um, you know, I, that was a hard time. This is 10 years after our wedding. What am I angry about? I'm angry at myself for struggling with alcohol. I'm angry at myself for being weak. Um, what, anyways, it's just a real, this is a hard, that's a hard time in my life. Things were not 
the way they ought to be. I was painfully aware of my weakness, of my bad choices, of my lies and deception to my wife. I was broke. This whole time I'm, I'm praying. I'm seeking God. I'm like, please, God, make me throw up at the smell of beer. Make me just like, so that I can't tolerate it. Take this away from me. Take away all the stuff, whatever's getting in the way, the, my pride that was getting in the way of being vulnerable with my wife and t- talking to her about this. I just, I, I desperate for God to take it away from me, but he didn't. We ended up 2018, what would that be? I'm trying to do some math here. We were married 13 years. I'm a math teacher, but adding. Um, so we're, you know, over a dozen years deep. And this was, and it got so bad. And the day before the, the archery elk season down in Washington, I was going to go for a week and a half with some buddies. And, um, and she found my beer. Uh, she, everything, you know, worse than that. It was lies and deception revealed everything. I was filleted away in the garage and I had nothing to do but say, yes, this is it. I, I confess. I just, she insisted I go hunting. I didn't want to. Um, that's me in the bottom right there. That's, that was a difficult time, difficult trip. But when I came back, she was there. I didn't think, I thought my clothes would be out on the lawn and she was there and the kids were there. And when, when I came back and she was there, and she had mentioned to me, she said that uh, God told me to trust. Well, we, I started working on some stuff. I was going to counseling uh, weekly, a couple times a week at first, doing meetings, taking these pills. They have pills. I mean, sorry to interject this in a lightly way, but they actually do have pills that will make you puke. And I would think, I wish I would have known this a long time ago, but, um, but I'm taking these pills, I'm doing this stuff. And, and, uh, during that time, God told, or Lexi told me that God told her to trust him with me. And that was a really, really big deal. Cause it was different than saying, trust him. She couldn't trust me. I knew she couldn't trust me. Like, that's not, God wouldn't tell you to trust me. But yeah, God told her to trust him with me. So that begins the journey. And we're here up in Alaska. God called us up to Alaska. We've had, uh, and, and this is where I'm saying God has been, I'm blown away. Blown away by God's faithfulness. <clears throat> God is so faithful. So um, we're here in Alaska and, you know, it just keeps, it just keeps going. Uh, 
I probably should check my notes. Again, first time preaching, so forgive me. I just looked up and I expected to see four minutes, but we're at 24 minutes. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was praying the whole time. Okay. And then, uh, yes. So that's a bit of mine, of me. But just like we did in the beginning when you were thinking about something that was weighing on you, probable, I would expect almost everybody in here to be able to in some way identify with that. That feeling of, of things are not the way they ought to be, the desire for things to be the way they ought to be. Like it should be different. It's, it's gotta be, it's gotta get better. It should be different. What do I need to do? How, I'm kind of beyond that. I'm not really sure, but I know one thing is it's not the way it ought to be and it's gotta get better. And I, I'm talking like, I'm thinking teens mitigating teen years or school coming up. I've got a little anxiety, you know. I'm going to be starting back in, and I'm a teacher. Uh, some of, some, you know, as far as relationships, I know there are, you know, relationships in here, marriages that struggle, um, kids that we're praying for would would come to a saving grace in Jesus Christ. There's there's so much that we ache for in life, and um, that's where we're going to go here in Nehemiah. The Bible is full of stories of God's faithfulness, and Nehemiah is... uh, is a great picture of this, but I'll tell you, I first read this when I was first looking at Nehemiah 1 and into the first part of chapter 2. I'll be honest, I was, I was looking for uh, Nehemiah to me, Nehemiah, a great leader, great intercessor, great, you know, these things. I was, I knew Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. You know, there was these things that I sort of was thinking, this is what I'm looking for and what I'm seeing. And God said, no, it's not what I did through Nehemiah that I, that I want you to be looking at and focusing on. It's what I did to Nehemiah. What happened to Nehemiah in these first couple chapters? So starting off in uh, chapter one here. That's right, I'm in the wrong part of the Bible. But I need a bookmark or I will miss one. Chapter 1, Nehemiah, in the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, close. Um, Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So there's some really cool history components, some context here. I'll try to be really brief about it, but... Uh, we just came out of a series um, in in this church here on God leading His Israelites into or the Israelites into the Promised Land, right? So God doing this, 
Joshua leading them in there. We, we've read about uh, uh, God in the desert with his people and where he would move, they would move. And when he would stop, they would stop. And, and the, the temple and the Holy of Holies, that God resided. There was this closeness with God and his people. It reminds me of that picture of me when I look like I'm 12 there. Like this closeness, this time of intimacy. Um, years later, Israel's in a different state. Israel's in a different condition. The Assyrians had come in. Um, it's about three, 400 years later. The Assyrians had come in and conquered the 10 northern tribes. Uh, was it Babylonians came in, conquered the southern uh, nation of Judah, along with Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the Babylon king ended up destroying, kind of there's some circumstances, but he ended up destroying Jerusalem after conquering, and the Jews are in exile. So they're scattered, they're in different places. This is not the way it ought to be, right? This is the, this is the, like every one of these Jews in all the different places are like, you know, we used to be so close. We used to be together. You remember the temple? Remember going to the temple? We had our, maybe even remember those beautiful gates and that tall uh, wall that protected us. You know, there was a time. So Nehemiah, he's an Israelite. He's in exile, but he... He's serving the king, Artaxerxes, as a cupbearer and uh, has actually a pretty good life. Um, relatively speaking, he's living in the, he's at the citadel, the, the fortified part of the city, the uh, capital, and he's serving the king. He does a good job. The king trusts him. He's built a relationship with the king, but uh, he has to be careful as the cupbearer. He is required to put on a smile and, you know, he, he's, the king is relying on him not only to not get poisoned, but to kind of uh, stay in a good mood, kind of maintain the environment a little bit. Um, so as such, uh, Nehemiah, who is not, I thought this was kind of interesting, he's not there was a couple people, Zerubbabel and Ezra, who had already kind of started bringing people back into Jerusalem and working on the temple. But Zerubbabel was of the line of David. He was a king of the kingly line. The, um, Ezra was of the line of Levi. He's a priestly line. Malachi was a contemporary of theirs, the prophet Malachi. And Nehemiah is none of those things. He's a cupbearer. He's an Israelite, but he's in exile. What can he do? You know, um, so number four, or verse four, sorry. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant now that I pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, 
confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted, acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now it was a cupbearer to the king. This is the prayer that Nehemiah recorded, uh, but this is not the only time he prayed these words. It says in the beginning, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying. This is a season he's entered. It says in verse six, uh, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. This is different than what I kind of remember but it, it's something that I can identify with. I have, I have a better understanding now of the, the burden that Nehemiah carried, that he was experiencing when he heard these words and he felt this burden and he's praying. Days turns into weeks as he's praying. It makes me think about seasons in my life where there's been long periods of, of seeking God, sometimes maybe wondering if God's listening, but knowing that God is faithful. So it, there's, there's this thing where it almost feels like, like flexing or something where God is allowing, God has allowed me and God is allowing Nehemiah to go through and kind of, flex his faith and, and work it, petition day and night, day and night. God heard him. God is faithful. But he allowed Nehemiah to work at this and work at this and work at this. And maybe God was, and maybe Nehemiah, if it was anything like what I have experienced, there's probably times when he wished that he could kind of be over this weight, kind of take care of this already, God. Um, been praying about this for like hours now, you know, why aren't you doing something about it? And God's like, there's value in this and you, and you continuing in the season of coming to me in prayer, there's some value that you may not be quite aware of. And this is where uh, it gets exciting in chapter two here. Um, if you thought that was exciting. Uh, chapter two, verse one. In the month of Nisan, but so I love this too. I'm like, huh? when's that? Nisan was in March, April, somewhere in March, April. So yeah, this for me, I was like, wait a second. 
from November, December to March, April, that's like a winter time. That's a, that's a season, you know, four or five months, you know, four to five months of, uh, of pouring out his life to God, pouring out his heart to God. Maybe he was journaling. I like to think of him like, oh God, God knows how many tears are in these pages, right? God knows. And, and I believe Nehemiah, I really do feel like Nehemiah during this time was wrestling with this a lot. And he's the king's cupbearer. So he gets to go to work and sip the king's wine and make sure it's not poisoned and whatever other things he did, but he could not be, uh, this was something that he had to kind of bear in secrecy and agony. He probably was doing a lot of Dear Diary stuff, but I don't know, you know, maybe he was talking to some people that he knew, but it was kind of like, don't let this get to the king. Um, so chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king of King Artaxerxes, same year, same uh, time, but, but uh, four to five months later, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Man, Nehemiah had done a good job for four or five months. He'd been working on this. He's been praying day and night. He's maintained his composure, but he gets to a point here where the king notices, and it says, then I was very much afraid. I really do believe this was a, a point when Nehemiah thought this, this could end it. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if they killed them back then, you know, but I mean, this could end, like at least his job and at least everything that he knew... But he was, he was afraid, which suggests to me that he did not know what was going to happen next. He was uh, very anxious and maybe a smidge excited to see what, like, okay, well, now this is out, God. You know, I'm not really sure, but I don't think it's just um, that his response is a, is a, an act of faith or a tremendous act of faith, but I believe that there's also an element of like, I have no idea what's going to happen next. He was terrified. Next verse. Where am I at? Three. Oh, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. What he did not say, ah, it's nothing. Oh, it's cool. Not nah, something I ate. I don't know. Someone was cutting onions and my eyes are kind of tearing up a little bit. Or he didn't. I, I, I really, this is a point of release for him and saying, 
God has not taken this from me. So what's it for? Let's find out. And then verse four, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I really, after kind of looking at this a little bit more, I thought, I'm not trying to like overly humanize Nehemiah, but I finally could get it a little bit. I could finally go, he just, I think he was floored. I think the king said to him, how can I help? Excuse me? I'm not dead. I'm, I'm still like, you actually want to help? Maybe there's a possibility. Possibly he was thinking, really? I could have asked you like four months ago. Maybe. But in this moment, when God's, or when the king says, what are you requesting? I really think this to me, and he said, when he says, so then I pray, so I pray to the God of heaven. I feel like when I read this, and this is, this is so exciting to me, I feel like God has taken in that moment his burden, the thing that is weighed heavy on his heart, and it has encountered the faithfulness of God, which transformed it into his commission. You know, his, his sense of identity and his purpose all of a sudden is transformed and fueled by this season of burden. It becomes his asset. I think that's such a beautiful thing. I mean, you and I, we all have stuff that's weighing heavy on our hearts. I have come to think, and I actually was kind of, while I was preaching last service, that in my mind, it, it came up this idea of that, that these things are appointments waiting to happen or appointments in progress. And it made me think about the things that I'm experiencing and going, what does God have for me? What is he going to, how is he going to use this? You know, how's he going to use, I'm nervous up here. This is my first time preaching. How's he going to use this to grow me? Not just take this from me, you know? Anyways, that's not in my notes, but I don't know where I'm at in my notes. Um, What are you requesting? So I prayed to, the, to God of heaven. Now this, okay. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I, might, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you be returned? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And then I said to the king, oh, if it pleases the king, I'm also going to need, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that I may pass through until I come to Judah. I need some safe passage. Um, oh, and also a letter to, the, to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that, may, that I can get the resource, that give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I'm going to occupy, my own house, I, you know, new place. And the king granted me what I asked. Eh? So that right there, that's a different Nehemiah. That is a Nehemiah on a mission making request from the king of Persia. He is exiled in this, and he's serving this king. I, to me, 
I see, uh, I see in Nehemiah's purpose and um, like, I'd say allegiance, like he's no longer, he's moving from serving the king of Persia to serving the king. And it, it shifts and, I, and he's talking to the king, asking for resources and it pleases the king. God is in this. And I love that he said at the end there, and for the good hand of my God was upon me. And I put that in bold there. I, I wish I, should, I could highlight it in my Bible, but it, that, that's a big deal to me. And the good hand of my God was upon me. Why, did, why was that right there on his mind? Why did he write that in there? And I know, you know, give God the glory. I don't think he tried to give God the glory. I don't think he made a conscious decision. You know what? I should probably slip God some credit here. I should probably let him have a little bit. You know, I'll save some for me, but I'll let him have a little bit of this praise. I think it had to do with this journey, this season that God had taken him through. I think by the end of it, I think he was like, are you kidding me? When he's telling the story later to his kids, or, you know, I'm just picturing at some point he's an old man in Jerusalem, maybe at the temple, like, I'll tell you, the day that changed my life, I had nothing. I was terrified. I was afraid. I didn't manipulate the situation or craft some scenario in which God would be kind of tripped into blessing me. No, I struggled. It weighed heavy on my heart. I so badly want, I so badly wanted to see what God had promised manifest in my life, you know, that I could be a part of this, this time of restoration and the rebuilding of Jerusalem any way that I could. The king said, what? I said, I'll build the gates. I'll build the... I'll build the walls. Okay, anything you need. God allowed Nehemiah to be a part of this re, rebuilding, this restoring of, of uh, Jerusalem. And uh, so I'm going to have the communion or worship team and the communion team. We're going to prepare for communion. So worship team, come on up. Um, This uh, Nehemiah having the desire to see this, to see Jerusalem rebuilt, but it was also it was more than that. He wanted to see the, the reunification, like people together again, this people group reunited and to see their identity and their purpose restored. And he did, and we'll see later in here of some of the... Uh, some of the, the elements of what, how God used them. But it wasn't just to build walls and gates. You know, there was, a, there was a bigger purpose here. And when I think about our desire, when we see these kids on the wall and, and maybe in our lives, I know I've experienced it. I know I still experience the desire for things to be the way they ought to be. I see this in my own kids, my students, my marriage. I want more. I want I want more. I've lost a lot of loved ones recently. Quite a few of them, too many of them. This isn't the way it ought to be.
But I know that there's going to be a time. I know that there is a time and a place. Jesus made the way so that I can experience, and I will eventually experience this. I will be reunited. I will be restored. I will have a new mind, a new body. We will be the bride of Christ, reunited and together in a new Jerusalem. That's what it says. Jesus even talked about this kingdom. The new Jerusalem is revealed to John. I, um, I don't think I will take the time, but Revelation 21, talking about the new Jerusalem and the walls that are 12 cubits thick and the dimensions. He talks about the dimensions. Basically, it's just huge overwhelmingly huge. You can't even imagine how the size, the scope, and the materials of precious metal and gems, it's better. It's just whatever you think, it's better. We get to experience that because of what Jesus did. As we take communion, we're we're both looking back at what Jesus did. We're considering our own sins that that nailed him to the cross, that, that he died because of me and my condition. And that does weigh heavy on me. And I do think about that. And I want other people to experience the freedom that I experience in Christ, whether it's addictions, whether it's any, you know, whatever it is that's heavy on your heart, God wants to use it for his glory and and through his faithfulness. So as we take communion and we look back and we remember, we'll also be looking forward to that day when, uh, when we'll be in this restored state and things will be the way they ought to be. I'm so excited for that. If, um, while we start this next song, we'll have the elements on either side here. So you can go and get your elements, go back to your seat, and then we'll partake together.